0: Well, good morning again. This is going to be a fun Sunday, trust me, because uh, we had a great time in the first service. We're doing something a little unique this morning, and so I want to invite three gentlemen up on the platform right now. Travis Jacobson, Larry Baldridge, and Doug Haycock. And so here's what's going to happen today. We're continuing our series in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, where um, Jesus gives us all kinds of parables in Matthew chapter 13. And today we're doing what's called eight-minute messages. And so each one of these gentlemen on the platform today is going to cover one of these parables, and they're allotted eight minutes. And so we're going to begin with Travis Jacobson. Come here, Travis. Travis, here's what you need to know about Travis. Travis has been leading our student ministry. He's been our interim student director uh, here at, at Lawrence Free Methodist Church since uh, April, May time frame, something like that. And, and I just want to say in front of all these people and, and to let you know that, that Travis has done an amazing job. And so, Yeah. We have been blessed by his leadership, and I know you're going to enjoy listening to him this morning. And so Travis is going to get things kicked off this morning, and then Larry's going to come after him, and then then Doug will close it up. And so if you would, um, just give Travis your attention for the next little bit. Travis, you get us started, buddy.
1: Well, hey, good morning. It has been my immense pleasure to serve as the interim youth leader downstairs for the last several months, and uh, what an honor it is for me to stand before the congregation that I grew up in. Um, I just ask that you have a little patience with me, as uh, I don't normally do this, so this is great. But hey, uh, would you please pray with me as we get started here? Father, humbly I ask you to be here. Guide my words. Receive all the glory. Give them patience with me and grace just as you show us every day. We love you, Father. We ask these things in the name and authority of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, starting at about verse 24. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, or it'll be up here on the screen, I'm just going to read it out loud at the parable of the weeds. Uh, Read with me here. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. It continues on a little later, starting at verse 36. Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the son of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So I want to look for a moment at weeds. What is that? What does that mean? Uh, Something that is truly awesome about our God is that he is fully capable of giving us perfect analogies and every word holds weight and wisdom within it because of that weeds here we know the type of weeds that would have been commonplace at this time in this place in history right it would have been a weed called darnell and i have a slide here comparing darnell and wheat and what i want you to notice is that you can't tell the difference to the untrained eye it is indistinguishable from wheat darnell is that is It's only when the wheat produces its fruit, the actual grain heads, that the differences become discernible. In fact, it's often mistaken for wheat and therefore has earned the name false wheat in the same way that you might say fool's gold. Also, when it grows alongside wheat, side by side, the roots become intertangled, inseparable, intertwined. You would not be able to pull out just one of these without uprooting, damaging, ruining, or harming in some way the other can't pull them apart. Now, this parable points to a real and inevitable final judgment, and that day is coming. But what I want to speak to this morning is not about that final act, but instead what happens between now and then, what happens in the meantime. Did you notice in this parable the mingling of the believers and unbelievers, the good and the bad together in one place here on earth? The kingdom of heaven, as it's described, is intermixed. To us, our natural inclination is to say, well, that seems like a mistake. The good, the bad together, that seems not good for the good, right? That seems bad for the good. Especially when in the parable, right before this one, Jesus talks about wheat being planted, and it's planted among, among several places, but among those being among some weeds, and the weeds grow up and choke it out and strangle it to death. That doesn't seem good for the weeds. Did you notice also that the angels, the servants, the reapers, their natural instinct was the same as yours. They go to God the Father and they ask, do you want us to go pull them up and separate them? But God forbids it. Why? Why would God say not to pull the weeds? It seems good to us. It seemed good to the angels. Why not? God is infinitely patient with us, and he is unwilling to lose even a single Stock of wheat. And that's true and consistent in all scripture, not just this parable. He says in another place when Jesus is speaking to his disciples that he would leave the 99 sheep of his flock to go after and pursue the one that had wandered off. Our holy heavenly Father loves, values, and likes you more than anything and wants everyone to be with him. Second Peter 3 states it like this, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I believe that this intermixing, the good, the bad together, that this is the most effective way, that this is how Christians and the message of salvation have the greatest impact and reach the greatest number of lost souls. So it's not about you and your being surrounded or harassed or challenged, or slightly inconvenienced by those weeds around you. This isn't a pity party, but it's instead about the weeds. It's about them, and they're having as many opportunities as possible to become wheat. It is the system that God has permitted and designed. Before that final judgment, the end, the cutoff, don't you think God wants to reach the most people, and hasn't he decided to use us to reach those people? God put you here, in this little patch of soil, in this time and this place, surrounded by these people, perhaps these weeds, under these circumstances, so that you could reach and save the lost around you. And here's another truth. He has determined that those weeds, which are around you, are to stay there on purpose. It is not your place to remove them from your life. You wouldn't even know how. They are indistinguishable to us. You do not have that knowledge and authority. And even if you tried to pull them out, you would damage yourself or those around you because your roots are intermingled. We are called to be in the world with people, seeking to save those around us. Not in some holy huddle of isolation, not cut off in convent or somehow fortified against new incomers. But instead, he has designed that we should be good influences to all. And signposts pointing the way to find and follow Jesus in the same way that our mission statement says. So what am I asking you to do? Just a small thing. Just the things that Christ asked us to do, right? Be good influences. Befriend the friendless and the lonely. Console the heartbroken and the grieving. Encourage and help the depressed. Foster the orphan. Care for the sick. Be generous with your time and with your money. And all of these things to such an extent that it confuses people. So that when they come to you and say, why? Why do this? Why live this way? In that moment is your chance to share your testimony of God's grace. Giving him glory and credit where credit is due. It is this to which you are called and this is your mission. Live like Christ and so save all men. I want to thank you guys for letting me share this morning. Would you pray with me again, just in my closing? Father, thank you. Speak to us and write upon our hearts. Open your ears to what you would have us hear through your spirit within us. We love you, Father. Bless our efforts to know you more. In your son's holy name, amen. Amen. Good morning.
2: Uh, My name is Larry. For those of you, (laughs) (laughs) you'll get this later. (laughs) Thank you, brother. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can get emotional. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, um, I can be OCD about some things. Uh, My wife is here. Uh, Honey, if, if that's true, would you stand up and just give a thumbs up? or a thumbs down, if I can be, (laughs) so I can be quite OCD about some things, and if you're OCD about something, it's something that you care about, it's something that matters to you, it's something that you give your life to, really, and um, you could say, I think we could really say that Jesus, God himself, is OCD about some things, there are some things that really matter to him, and that we see repeated over and over and over again, and so, uh, As we prepared, we didn't plan on this, we didn't collaborate, it, but it'll be interesting on how the three parables that we're sharing from really do dovetail with each other regarding the theme and the central truth of what Jesus is saying in this chapter of Matthew 13. So we'll start by reading Matthew 13, 31 through 32, and this is the parable of the mustard seed. So it should be on the screen behind me. Let's read that. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Initially, uh, you know, what God kind of specializes in is taking something that is nothing and making something out of it, and taking something that's small and seemingly insignificant to man, but actually uh, causing that to have an expanding influence for his kingdom uh, beyond what any natural reasoning uh, might think, if we were to think of that ourselves. And he's always had that perspective from the beginning. Look what uh, we're told in uh, Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Almighty God. This is the first time God refers to himself as the Almighty God in Scripture. And here's why. Here's what he says. Walk and live habitually before me. Be O C D about that, about walking with me and living how I want you to live and being who I want you to be. Be blameless, wholehearted, and complete. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him further. And you know, I wonder, what if Abraham didn't symbolically submit himself, surrender himself to what God was saying at that moment? But because he did, then God revealed more of his plan to him. And here's what he said. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants. (laughs) My granddaughter showed up this morning, one of my descendants. and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. Throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Kings are rulers of kingdoms, and you know what their job is? It's to provide for people. It's to protect people, and they're influencers On people's futures and God is saying to Abraham if you walk with me and become who I want you to become I'm going to multiply your life and your life's going to have a tremendous impact in the expansion of my kingdom for my glory and anyone who has surrendered their life to Christ is a part of that promise being fulfilled through Abraham Look what we're told in Galatians. If you belong to Christ, if you're in him, then you're Abraham's descendants and spiritual heirs according to God's promise. It was a spiritual promise that God gave to Abraham. And God didn't just leave it at that. He fleshed that out. He fleshed out the how-to of him doing that through the life of Jesus and his followers. So what we're going to look at this morning is how God himself modeled his plan through Jesus. And we're going to look at four simple passages where Jesus spoke, God himself, and what he said about God's plan, our part in that, the product and proof of that plan, how we can measure it, and then Jesus' performance. In other words, how Jesus modeled that for us and to his disciples as well. The first thing that Jesus said, to those he was calling to be a part of his plan and his mission was basically the same thing that God said to Abraham. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Walk with me and you, your life will have an impact on bringing more lives into my kingdom and expanding my kingdom. Secondly, Jesus made a very brief statement to his followers and this struck me decades ago when I first heard it. A guy just kind of shared it on the fly. And what he said was, uh, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's what has to happen. The seed has to lose its identity here, die, and basically spring up for new life. And basically what he's saying here is that if I want to have an expanding influence on the kingdom of God, then I've got to die to myself. I have to die to my personal preferences. I need to die to getting my way and what I want. And the result will be production of new life for the kingdom of God. We have to do that. Thirdly, Jesus made this statement. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and the word abide here means to live in obedience and fellowship with. In other words, he who does what I say, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And you know, that's all the branch has to do on the vine. It just has to hang in there and be attached. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The proof's in the pudding, and it's the fruit that we bear. And then he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And here's the reason why. And I've appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and be lasting. You know, there's a term called follow-up. follow ups conserving the fruits of evangelism and so helping people to get established in their walk with God. Lastly, Jesus is giving his ministry report in John 17. It's just before he goes to the cross. And this is what he says to the Father. This is what he says he did. This is what he gave his life to. He says, I was with them, referring to the disciples. I've given them your word. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. He's relegated that to us. That the world will believe that you sent me. That's what was on Jesus' heart from the very beginning. It's what was on God's heart from the very beginning, is the world. And expanding his kingdom from within his creation. So, based on what Jesus has said, I'd like to uh, suggest four things that can help you be fruitful for a lifetime. And I'm just asking you to consider taking on two of these yourself. You can write down the the, uh, reference if you want and uh, kind of the key idea. But just consider doing two of these uh, yourself over the next year or so. First, Grow in knowing Christ deeply. Spend personal time with Jesus daily. We're told in the scriptures that God is passionate about his relationship with you. He's OCD about that. Secondly, find someone you can be accountable to who walks with God and whose life is reproducing and can, who can help you in learning how to share your faith with others. You know, uh, Jesus said you can identify a person because you'll know them by their fruits what's the product of their life what's the result of their life and their interaction with others so find someone who can help you learn how to share your faith we're told that he appointed the twelve he called the twelve to himself that they might be with him it's called the with him principle and then that he might send them out to preach that he might proclaim uh, the good news of his kingdom thirdly Ask God to give you the opportunity, to give you opportunities to share the gospel. Look at these two verses just from the psalmist. First one says, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long. And another verse says, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. And my hook or my topic for those verses is um, proclaim the gospel all day and every day. Let it be a lifestyle. Uh, coming up in the not too distant future, we're going to offer something called the Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversation, and and that's going to be some training that uh, you'll have an opportunity to take advantage of of just how to have a spiritual dialogue with people, and to help you to, to help us discern where someone's coming from and how I can uh, engage with them in conversation that meets them where they're at and it will hopefully open a door in the future for us to be able to share the good news of Jesus with them. Let me just share a quote from, uh, with you here. You are supposed to feed yourself spiritually every day, not just on Sundays. And when you're loving other people, you're supposed to listen to their story first. Then you share your story. Then you share God's story. Because they are more important than you are. And they need to become a Jesus follower and not just a religious attender. Um, That's something word for word that was shared with me on the phone this week. It's not from the training we're going to have. And that's my 20 year old granddaughter. She's known the Lord for eight and a half months. And that's what's on her heart. That just spewed from her mouth when she asked what I was going to be sharing on this morning. And, you know, it's not just something she knows intellectually, but it's part of her life. And now she's eight and a half months in Jesus, and she's recruited her roommates to a a, a small discussion group in her apartment so that they can find Jesus too. And they've bought their books themselves. Anybody can do this. Finally, um, I think the last thing we can do is to just be thankful, tender, and teachable for a lifetime. Look at what the psalmist said. Create in me a clean heart and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will be converted to you. That was his heart. And, uh, you know, God says, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest field. The answer to reaching the world for Christ is us, its people. And God's intended to do that from the very beginning, and he still intends to do that today. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that, God, you're very clear, not only in what you say in your word, but uh, what Jesus modeled for us and what he communicated to his disciples. He lived, and it was part of his life and his lifestyle. And so I pray that you just help each one of us to really know what it means to be one of those little insignificant grains of wheat that falls into the earth and dies, so that we may bear much fruit and see your kingdom expanded here on earth for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. So, there you go, brother. <laughs> here you go. I think Oh, you do.
3: You do need mic. Oh, <laughs> well, good morning. That's enough chit chat. Let's get right to it here. In Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, we find two very short parables: um, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. So let's listen as I read these to you. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, And bought it. Now, one of the things that we know about interpreting parables is that except in those very few cases where Jesus specifically gives some kind of symbolic meaning to every detail, a parable is usually intended to make one single central point. And so, with these two parables, what is that point? Um, Both stories involve the discovery of something that is so valuable that the finders are willing to trade everything that they have for the thing that they've found. And Jesus is saying that when someone finally realizes the significance of the kingdom of heaven, nothing else can compare. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like this. Now the kingdom of heaven seems to be Jesus' favorite subject. It was the main content of his preaching from the very beginning of his public ministry. The phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, those two things are interchangeable, is a way of describing how things are under the rule and reign of God the Father. There is a future aspect, and sometimes Jesus teaches about that when uh, he speaks about heaven and about the life to come. But when Jesus began his public ministry, we're told that his message was pretty simple. Repent and believe in this message, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That phrase, at hand, suggests that because Jesus has come to us, the kingdom of heaven has come as well, in some sense, in some way, and that should motivate us to live differently. So when Jesus taught and preached, uh, when he taught and preached, taught—did I say that? <laughs> when he taught and preached, he taught about a different way of living in the light of the presence of the kingdom. So often he used phrases like "You have heard it said," but I tell you. Or he would describe the way things kind of work in the world as they know it, and then he would say, "But it is not so among you." So things are different in the kingdom of heaven. Most of the Sermon on the Mount, which takes up three whole chapters of Matthew's book, is about how to live this different kind of life in the here and now. And right in the middle of that sermon, in chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So much of the narrative about the life of Jesus shows us not only his teaching about the kingdom kind of life, but also his example of that kind of life, where people are more important than things, where compassion is more important than the religious rules that had become such a burden to the people in Jesus' day, and where love for God and for one's neighbor in the here and now is the ultimate form of obedience. So let's just look one more time at these two little parables. Each of the two characters in these stories finds an enormously valuable thing. And because these two guys recognize its value, they trade in all of their earthly possessions to have it. And Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom which is among us now at hand, is a lot like that. This kingdom kind of life, this transformative life, this radical, countercultural life, life that is fueled and motivated by the love of Christ and powered by the Holy Spirit is so amazing, so valuable, that once you realize what you've found and once you realize what it means, it makes total sense to prioritize the kingdom life over everything else. It is a life of love and compassion, a life that is focused on other people. Just look at the way Jesus lived. And when we understand and experience the love of Jesus, Scripture says that love causes us to love. We love because he first loved us. And the love of Christ compels us, Scripture says, to love others and to serve others and to be the hands of feet in Jesus in the world today because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I'm going to just put this question out there. What do you think it would look like if each one of us in this room took these words of Jesus to heart and made this kingdom kind of life our highest priority? How would that change the way we spend our time? How would it change the way we spend our money? How would it change the way that we interact with the people that God puts in our path? How would it, be, how would it affect the way we treat the least of these? And what would be the impact on our community if we actually lived and loved as if we truly believed that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Some of you are already on this path, I know, and that is awesome, but can you imagine what might happen in Lawrence, Kansas, if we all got on that path together and in obedience to Christ, made the pursuit of this kingdom kind of life our highest priority? Back in June, I preached a sermon where I asked you, are you in to be salt and light and serve our community? And many of you responded, and that was awesome. Um, And that is one aspect of what we're talking about today. But I feel like the question for today is actually much bigger. And I've been asking myself this question. Am I all in for this kingdom kind of life? I know it's not necessarily an easy life. But it's a joyful life. Jesus talked about how when this man found this, this treasure in the field, he was so filled with joy that he went and sold everything to have it. I want that life. And I believe that many of you want it too. And it isn't something that happens all at once. Learning to walk with Jesus in kingdom life is a lifelong process. But here's the thing, it's worth it. And that's the whole point of these parables. Not always easy, but always worth it. So let me put that bigger question to each one of us this morning. Ask yourself, am I all in? for pursuing the kingdom kind of life that Jesus has called me to, whatever it might cost. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word, for those who over many, many centuries have preserved it and passed it to us, because when we read about Jesus, we understand more of who you are. As we get to know him better, we come to know you better as well. And Lord, we do want to know you. As we read and ponder ponder these parables of your kingdom, Lord, I pray that you light this Holy Spirit fire in each one of us, a fire that will open up our eyes and help us to see the overwhelming value of knowing you and walking in your ways and of seeking your kingdom and your righteousness as our first priority, trusting that everything else will fall into place under this one pearl of great value. I pray for each one of us that you would teach us what it means to live the kingdom kind of life, to value your kingdom over every other thing, and how to participate in your kingdom in the here and now, even as we continue to hope and trust that you will one day call us into your very presence to live in the light of your love and grace and mercy forever. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom will come in all its fullness, and your will be done on earth in us and through us, even as it is in heaven. And we ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Amen.